something isn't working right in our culture. Something is just broken. Listen to this, listen to this. Every single day in America, over 1,000 unwed teenage girls become mothers. This is kids, these are kids becoming parents to kids. I just want you to think about this, and, and it's amazing if you look at the numbers. In, in Michigan alone, I just read this week that, that nearly 40% of all children born in Michigan will be born into a single mothered home, single mothered home, and that number is rising every single year, and within the black community or the African American community, it's already topped 80% of every single child is born into an unwed mothered home. Now, I want you to think about what this means for the family. What, what does this mean for the, for the young teenage girls who are becoming mothers? Think about their future, what this means, and think about the future of those kids and how difficult of a road that will be for many, many of them. We will have an entire generation growing up around us that will never know what it's like to have a loving, nurturing, protective, providing father within the home. An entire generation is coming down the pipeline just like that. And I don't want you to think for a moment that I'm coming down or, or being uh, you know, judgmental toward unwed mothers. I'm not. Because I think if you were to ask any, any unwed mother who's honest, I think they would tell you that it is far from easy. I think they would tell you that it is far from what is best. I think that they would tell you that it is a whole lot of work, far less than the ideal situation. I think they would tell you this. And so something isn't working right in our culture. Something is just broken. Hear, hear me on this. Every single day, over 1,100 teenage girls will have an abortion. And another 4,200 Every single day will contract a, a sexually transmitted disease. Every single day. Every single day in America, the U.S. government tells us that over 500 teenagers try hard drugs for the first time and over 1,000 teenagers every day try alcohol for the first time. And last year, the government reported that nearly 1 million teenagers, 1 million teenagers were certified alcoholics or hard drug addicts. 1 million. I mean, there is just something wrong in our culture. There's something broken. Something is not working right. The U.S. government tells us that every single day in American schools that 135,000 kids bring a gun or a weapon to schools. And the result of this is that every single day in America, 3,610 children are assaulted inside the schools. 80 are prosecuted for rape every single day. And that's just those who are prosecuted. Every single day in our schools, uh, 2,200 teenagers drop out of school altogether. And get this, last year alone, over 2,000 teenagers committed suicide. And over 2,000 teenagers were murdered. Something is broken. Something is not working right in our culture. And the question facing children today is, is how do we, our, uh, um, their parents say, how do we fight against this? How do we stem against this, this tide? Because something isn't working. Our kids are being forced to grow up, to grow up in a modern world all too fast. The world has changed so radically from the time most of us were kids that it's almost hard for us to conceive these kinds of things happening in our world, but it's happening all around, uh, around us. And the impact of, of raising, uh, rising divorce rates and single parenthood rates and racial pressures and the constant sexual messaging from Hollywood and from the music industry and the porn industry and the safe sex industry and the homosexual agenda, all of this is just coming and coming and coming and coming and coming at our kids. 
and it doesn't stop. And it's taking a tremendous toll on families. And then if you combine that with the toll to, or the pressure to succeed and the pressure to get it right and the, the pressure to get ahead at all, at, at any cost, no matter the cost, it's unbelievable what our kids have to face. And the question for us as parents is how do we, how do we stand against this? Let me tell you something. Something is broken in our culture. And, and for me and Lynette, for me and Lynette, we, we look at this and we don't want this for our family. We don't want this for our little household. We want to fight this with everything that we have. Now, so many families, and you've seen it, right? Good families, families that seem to have their act together, they slowly seem to lose their kids. They, their kids slowly drift away and things begin to change. And as a society, we go, well, that's just how kids are. That's just normal today. But let me tell you something, friends. If that's normal, Lynette and I don't want any part of it. If that's normal and what is expected in our world, then we don't want to be normal. We want to be different. We want to be absolutely weird. We are happy with weird. We are happy with different. We don't want that for our family. And many of you, my guess would be, is you don't want that for your family either. You want something different for your family. And friends, I can tell you this, that as parents, Lynette and I, we don't care if, if, if parents buy their kids everything that their little hearts desires. We, we don't care if we are considered weird for saying no. We don't care if, if we are weird for being selective on who will be our kids' friends. We don't care if the world around us thinks we're weird because we don't have cable TV or even TV piped into our home. We don't care if people think we're Amish because we will not let our little girl walk around the beach in her underwear that some people mistake as bikinis. We don't care. And we don't care if the whole world thinks it's okay to be a slave to debt because they buy, buy, buy every single thing that comes along and they got to give their kid every single thing. We simply don't care if every other family lets their kids watch whatever Hollywood puts out, whatever the music industry puts out. We don't care, friends, if, if having to have certain things is what will make our kids happy, but if it'll ruin their soul, we don't care. Friends, listen, at the end of the day, as a matter of fact, we are convinced that if our kids are going to turn out different than the, than the statistical world around them, we are convinced that we have to parent different. We have to lead our homes different. We, we have to love different. We have to teach our kids different. If our kids are going to be different than the world, then our home needs to be different than the world around us. It just does. And here's, so here's what I'd like to do for the rest of our time uh, remaining today. Uh, I, I want to share some practical steps, some practical thoughts that uh, Lynette and I have purposely tried to bring into our home. We don't always get it right, but these are some of the things that we're trying to be different on in our home. And I've got to warn you, this is going to be uh, very personal stuff. This is personal stuff to me and to Lynette, and it may not work for your family. It might be different for your family, but I'm just telling you, this is some, these are some of the things that are really important to us. And my hope is, is that, that you'll be encouraged because of these things, that you won't walk away going, well, I don't like that. No, no, I don't want you to agree with every single thing. I'm not saying that at all. What I want you to do is I want you to go away thinking about what kind of family you want, what kind of influence you want on your kids and grandkids, what kind of home you want to raise your kids up into. That's what my hope is, is that you'll walk out of here realizing that parenting matters. And, and parenting every day matters. That we have to parent on purpose. We have to parent with great intent. And so Lynette and I, um, we, we've set a couple goals 
in, in our life, we, we, as we've tried to parent, we, we've set some goals that our, our end goal is not to look like the world around us, but our end goal is to be different than the world. And so we've set some goals and, and, um, and, and one of the first ones, and I, and I want you to be careful not to just check out of this because as we start to talk about parenting, uh, some of you without kids or maybe you don't think you're ever going to have kids or for whatever reason you're not like connected to this parenting thing, um, don't think that this doesn't matter to you because it does matter to you because the principles that we're going to talk about today, they're, they're lifted right out of the pages of scripture and the scriptures teach us that God is our heavenly father and that God is a good father to us. He is a good parent to us. And that he treats us in certain ways. And this will inform how not only we treat our kids, but how we view our parents. And so please, don't check out for a moment because God cares about this stuff. And so for me and Lynette, the very first goal of our parenting is this. And that is that we parent for relationship. We parent toward relationship. And this is what God does to us. Is that God cares deeply about our relationship with him. And so Lynette and I, we decided along the way that we're not going to parent just for behavior, but we are going to parent for this idea called relationship. So I remember when Zachary was a little guy, he was about three or four. I came home from work one day and, and immediately I walk in the house and I know something's crazy wrong because it looked like my house had been toilet papered by a bunch of teenagers. And, and so I, I walk in and Zachary's like standing right in the hallway, right in front of me and he's over by the bathroom and apparently he had found the toilet paper stash in our house and he was having a heyday. He was just loving life, right? And so I walk in and he is smiling. He is beaming from ear to ear like he is in Disneyland, right? Right? And he's just having a time of his life. And I, and I walk in on him. And apparently Lynette was upstairs with Madeline. And so I walk in on him and I go, what is going on here? And I get right down at his little level. I go, what is going on here? And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know. <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, I thought that wasn't going to come to the teenage years. But apparently it starts really early, right? I don't know. And then I say to him, I say, well, do you know who did this? as he's holding toilet paper all in his hands, and he says, no, I don't know. And let me tell you something, that, that was the first time that I could ever remember that our relationship was broken. And I may I'm laugh about it now, but at that moment it was devastating that my kid was lying to me. He was lying to me. And so I get down and now at this point, you know, I'm kind of trying to dial in, I would say, so let me ask you, Zachary, did you do this? And he paused. And he looks me square in the eye and he says, no, I didn't do it. And then I said, well, who did it then? And he looks and he's looking around. He's just a little guy and he knows he's caught. He knows he's caught, but he looks me square in the eye and he goes, mommy did this. <laughs> mommy did this. Now let me tell you something. I, I tried to explain what, what many of us have tried to explain to our kids along the years. I tried to explain to my four-year-old that lying breaks relationships. And that if you lie to me and I lie to you, it breaks this thing called trust. And trust is the center of a relationship. And without trust, you cannot have love. And without love, you cannot have a good relationship. Now, you try explaining that to a four-year-old. It's near impossible. But he knew it in his heart that the relationship was broke. And let me tell you something, friends. I've said it to my kids a thousand times. That a relationship is the end goal in our house. It's what matters most. 
at the end of the day. It's important to our home. And, and friends, listen, we parent toward relationship, not just behavior. The goal of parenting ought to be, at least for our home, it is this idea that we want to enjoy one day adult friendships with our kids, thriving adult friendships with, with our children. And my hope is that one day as, as we get older that... that that, they, that my kids will, will come back to us. As they get older and we get older and they start to live life, that they will choose to be part of our life. And that they will come home not just for what we have and not the stuff that we can give them, but that they will come home for us and to us. And that our influence won't wane, but that as they age, our influence will actually go up in their lives. Because relationship is the center of it all. And friends, let me tell you something. Uh, that is really hard to manage through life. It's really hard. As a matter of fact, just this weekend, my, my wife had to remind me as I was screaming and yelling at the kids that by yelling at the kids, all I'm doing is pushing them away. And that relationship matters most. And people don't run toward relationships when dad is yelling or mom is yelling or the kids are yelling. They run from them. And so let me tell you something, friends, this is so important that we get this right, that we need to parent toward relationship. And here's the second thing that Lynette and I have said as a goal, and we've said this many times in our little church here, but, but our goal of parenting is not just a relationship at the end of the day, but that we want our kids to know and love God. We, we want them to know and love God with everything that is in them, that we want our kids to know that they matter to God, that he has great plans for their life, that he has great hopes for their life, and that they are responsible to God, that they are accountable to God for their one and only life, that they ought not to miss this, that God matters most to them, and he has great hopes for them, and they better not miss it. And it's mine and Lynette's job to give this to them, to put this deep in their hearts, and that's our hope. And, and so... There are some steps along the way that we have decided to take. We try. We don't always get it right. We're far, far from perfect parents. But there are some things that we have purpose in our hearts to do and to give our children. And, and the first practical step is this, and you may want to write this down because I think it is so important. We have decided along the way, very early along the way, that we would give our kids the gift of consequences. The gift of consequences. And, and let me tell you something, this is a gift that they do not often like. And this is a gift that is very difficult to give as a parent. It really, really is. But maybe you have seen this scenario played out before. You maybe are in a store and mom says to boy, mom says to her son, Stephen, you get back here right now. Stephen, I'm warning you right now. You get back here right now. I'm telling you right now for the last time, you get back here or you are going to get it. Stephen, one... Stephen, you get back. Stephen, there is no ice cream for you tonight. Two. Stephen, I'm serious. You are not going to go to Playland again. You, th st one. Stephen, one. Two. Stephen, you're, you are not going to leave that house until the day you are, like, you're never going to leave that house. Right? And the kid goes on like nothing happened. The kid goes on like he owns the show. Because there are no consequences associated to it. As a matter of fact, what you see is mom turning to everybody around at Walmart going, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know kids are, they don't ever listen. Five-year-olds never listen to kids. And you know what, I'm embarrassed. And, and you know what, you're embarrassed for her. But you know who the real loser is in that? It's the kid. Because he's never been given the gift of consequences. 
Lynette and I have decided along the way to give our kid the gift of consequences. They need it, and it will serve them well. I've heard it written like this before. Don't bail. Let them fail. Don't bail them out, but let them fail. And I think all of us uh, know that effective parenting is centered around love, and, but not the kind of love that is permissive, like, oh, little Johnny, you can just, yeah, you, you feel free. Here's another cookie, Johnny. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Don't, I got that. Mommy will clean that up. Johnny, you can just go run in the road for all you want, right? That's not the kind of parenting we're talking about at all. The kind of parenting that honors God and produces the good kids that, that we dream for and, and want in life is the kind of parenting that is powerful enough to allow kids to make mistakes and permits them to live in the consequences of those mistakes. Don't bail, let them fail. You see, I think every good parent wants to raise responsible and honest and good thinking kids, but, but, but we raise them in environments where we don't let them make decisions. And if they do make decisions that aren't going in the right direction, what do we do? We swoop in and we fix it and we bail them out and we never let them understand that that decisions have consequences. Actions have reactions. And friends, if we get this down, this will serve our kids well in life every single time. Uh, one, of my, one of my teacher friends says that uh, it never fails. Like when, when they send report cards home or these progress cards home, they'll, they'll write, you know, the, the kid's been acting up, the kid is out of control, the kid doesn't do his work, he doesn't show up prepared, he, you know, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And they say never, it never fails. The parents will come marching in and they will make out their kid out to be the victim. Every single time. And it's the teacher's fault. It's the school's fault. It's everybody else's fault. But you know who the real fault is? It's the parent. It's not even the kid. It's the parent. Because we've taught them that actions, actions don't have consequences. But they do in life. And, and again, I'm, I'm talking about the right kind of consequences. I'm not talking about, well, my daughter shouldn't have been playing in the middle of Eureka Road. She's two and she got smashed by a truck. What are you going to do? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this kind of age-appropriate response, these age-appropriate consequences. Here's the truth, friends, that we get 18 short years to build good decision-making into our kids. And then they're going to go out into this world, and they're going to find out that the world is harsh, and the world is hard, and the world is ruthless. And they're going to be unprepared for that. The best thing that we can prepare our kids to do is to make good decisions because they understand the weight of those decisions and that those decisions carry this thing called consequences. Somehow, as parents, we've got to give this gift to our kids. We must allow them to fail at the age-appropriate rate in order, to, in order to teach them what they need to learn in life. Because listen, failing in consequences when they are young is cheap. Do you hear me on this? It's cheap when they are young. Let me explain this to you. Um, today, kids suffer from this thing called inflation. And I'm not talking about dollar inflation either. Listen, um, the cost of learning how to live in our world goes up daily. Uh, foolish behavior uh, when you're five years old costs way less than foolish behavior when you're 10 years old. And foolish behavior when you're 10-year-old uh, costs far less than it does when you're 20 years old. And foolish behavior when you're 20-year-old usually costs far less than it does when you're 30 years old because this is the nature of life. The price a child pays to learn about friendship and hard work and responsibility and excellence and decision-making will never be cheaper than when they are young. You hear me? It'll never be cheaper when they are young. Usually, all, all, uh, 
the old, let me say it like this, the older a child gets, the bigger the decisions are and the graver the consequences that follow those decisions. Listen to this. The guy who wrote the book, uh, Love and Logic, it's a great book about parenting. Uh, he says it this way. Little kids can make many mistakes at affordable prices. They can pick themselves up and try again if things don't work out. Usually all they end up with is some temporary pain uh, and a few letdowns and a, and a few tears. And that's really true. When they're young, we have this opportunity to teach them that their decisions matter. So, for example, like in my home, my, my kids are into the whole lightsaber thing now. It's like their obsession and they're like, you know, they, they put their own money into them. And let me tell you something. If my kid loses his $10 lightsaber, which he paid for because he did not obey me or did not do what he was responsible to do, that is a small price tag to pay for future responsibility. Wouldn't you agree? It's a, it's a very small price tag. So let me, let me say it like this. Maybe in your home, maybe in your home, you're, now I don't know why anybody would have a cat, but let's just say you have a cat. And, um, and you have a cat, and, and it's the kid's responsibility to feed that cat. It is a cheap price to pay if that cat starves in order to teach your kid responsibility. <laughs> I'm just kidding, gosh. But you will remember what I'm talking about, right? It's so important. It is cheap while they are young. Teach them while they're young. Uh, so yet some parents won't let their kids learn while the price tags are cheap. And if a kid doesn't learn when they're young to keep their hands off of stuff in the store that's not theirs, they will learn one day in the back of a squad car. They just will. And if Johnny doesn't learn the hard way when he's young, Johnny will learn the harder way when he is old. Parents that love their kids give their kid the gift of consequence every single time. They make this conscious choice that decisions matter and they need to teach their kids this. Uh, and, and so Lynette and I have come to fully embrace what the, teach, uh, what the scripture says about this idea of discipline. Listen to what it says. It says, discipline your son. Discipline your son for in that there is hope. One translation says, while there's still hope. So do it when they're young. It says, discipline your son, uh, son for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. So in other words, the, the, the gravity, the weight comes back to you as parents. And to me as a parent, to Lynette as a parent, that it is up to us to discipline our child. And if not, it will not end well for them and it won't be just their fault. You'll be a party to it. True? Anybody want to say amen? You know what I'm talking about. We, we want to give our kids a gift of consequence. Um, so I was watching a series by one of my favorite pastors, a guy named Andy Stanley. And um, he was, uh, it was more, not, not really a message. It was actually a discussion with him and his wife on stage. And, and they were talking in front of all these people about uh, some of the things that they've learned about parenting. And it was in a series called Future Family at North Point Church. And so you could go to this website and look it up. And I would encourage you to do this, to watch all the parts of this series. It was literally amazing. And this particular talk with his wife, uh, it was like drinking from a spiritual fire hydrant, a, a wealth of wisdom about parenthood. It, it literally blew my mind how, how good it was. And so I would just encourage you to go back and check this out. But Andy was talking about this idea of discipline and, and he was so practical with it. He, he says this, that, that oftentimes parents fear their kids. And some of y'all go, I don't fear my kid. And some of y'all without kids go, I'll never fear my kids. No, no, no. Every parent fears their kid. Everyone. You fear your kid not liking you when you're old. You fear a broken relationship with your kid. Every parent does. 
every single parent does. And so he begins to talk about this idea of, of discipline. When it comes to idea, uh, this deal with discipline, uh, they may not like it now, he says, but they will like you later for it. That is so good. They may not like it now, but they will like you later for it. And, and then he says something else, and I think this is just so brilliant. I wish I would have thought of this. He says, later is longer. Say that. Later is longer. Say it. Later is longer. And it's true, right? And so he says that later is longer, and, and, and you want them to like you later because later is longer, so parent for later. And friends, this is so important. I see this over and over and over. So, so many um, parents lose their kids in, this, in these teenage years where, where there's this struggle for discipline. And I think it's because we've lost perspective on what the end goal is. The end goal is relationship. The end goal is that they know the will of God for their life. The end goal is not to make them behave in every single way that you want them to behave. And so we, we lose track and we lose perspective on this thing called parenting. And then they talked about in this little series, uh, and I don't know who it said it originally, uh, but Andy quoted somebody else in this series, and, and, and it was so good. And I just want to share this for you because this will help give you a perspective on the stages of parenting, that it moves and our role looks different as we get older and as our kids get older. And so this is what, what, what they wrote on, on their screens, and I love this. It says, um, it breaks down parenting into four stages. The discipline years from birth to fifth grade, or five years old, excuse me, from birth to five years old, and then the training years from 6 to 12. And then there's these coaching years and the role begins to shift uh, as they hit their teen years. And then it ends in this thing called friendship years. And, and again, this is just kind of a guide, but you can see the progression here that the relationship changes. And I remember the early years and it did seem like you were always disciplined. When your kids are little, it seems like all you're doing is, no, stop that. Don't do that. Get back here. Get off that. Get off. I said, get, I said, get off that. Right? And, and it seems like that's all you do and it wears you out. Mom, am I right? Dad, it just wears you out. But this too shall pass. It will. And the phase becomes different. And you have to understand, you have to get a perspective that there's a shifting of seasons in all of our parenting. At least there ought to be in all of our parenting. But the problem becomes when parents start to discipline later and they don't do it earlier. It's like when their teens get like in the teenage years and, and they start going crazy and finally dad who's been very uninvolved and there's been very rule, little rules in the house, there's been very little informing, there's been very little training in the house, but all of a sudden the kids have gotten so wild that dad goes, enough is enough. And they put their foot down and they decide, hey, we're not, and, and they make this long list of rules. And what you see happen so often is that the kids run, the kids leave. They rebel against it. Because listen, when they're young and, and you can pick them up and just like, you're going to bed, you know? Or you're getting in the car and, and you can do that. But when they become too old to manhandle anymore and then you start to discipline, they're saying, no way. It's over, rover, if you start too late. There will be conflict. There will be chaos in your home. Every single time. It needs to start early and it needs to be consistent in your life. You know, one of the things you look at this little progression, one of the biggest problems that I, that I see is that parents want to be friends with their kids when they're kids. They're your kid. They're not your buddy. They're your kid. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. If you got like a middle school kid, listen, you cannot be friends with your middle school kid no matter what because they are crazy. 
They are just crazy. You can't be friends. Listen, friends come later. Friendship with your kid comes later. And, and later is what? Longer. Later is longer. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to get really practical with this idea of discipline because uh, you can wear yourself out chasing every little problem. Believe me, I've tried. You, you just can't, right? And so there are some things along the way that Lynette and I have decided that we just cannot manage every aspect of their life. We just can't do it. But there are some things that are non-negotiable, at least in our home. There are some things that we will discipline, we will train, or we will coach on age appropriately, no matter what, every single time it happens. Even if it's inconvenient, even if we're tired, even if we've been through it 3,000 times, even if we just told them three seconds ago, we will appropriately either discipline, train or coach no matter what. And here they are, three, three simple things. You may want to write these down. It may be different for your home, but these are three non-negotiables in our home, in our home. And, and the first one is very simple. It's disobedience. Second one is dishonesty. And the third one is disrespect. You do one of these three things, we're cracking the whip. We won't tolerate it in our home, no matter how big you are. And no matter how important you think you are. Not in our home. Now, you do what you want with those, um, but those are the non-negotiable for us. Now, for those of you who might be a little bit newer to this thing called the Christian faith and to the Bible and all this, I, I want you to know that there is a foundation, there is a uh, framework, a context to this whole idea of discipline. And, and it's really interesting because Jesus himself calls God his father, and he calls us to call God our heavenly father. And we learn from the scriptures that, that our heavenly father loves us, and because he loves us, he disciplines us. He disciplines us because he, he's a loving father who, who looks at our sin and looks at our issues and says, I just can't let you get away with all that. Because loving fathers discipline. And, and so Christians, theologically, we have experienced this thing where God is siding with us against sin. Let me explain this. God is siding with us against sin because God looks at the sin in my life and he's grieved by the sin in my life. He looks at the hurt that's caused by my sin and he's grieved. He hurts over that. When, when I'm pained, God is pained over the sin in my life. And, and when I'm making decisions that take me away from God, he hurts over those things. And so God at the cross, listen, God at the cross sided with me against the results or the consequences of sin in my life. Do you hear what I'm saying? God looked at my, my sin and he saw the pain and the hurt and, and the distance and the aloneness that it caused in my life. And he says, I don't want you to go through that alone. I'm going to side with you against the consequences of sin in your life. And I, and I think that the under, understanding how God the Father parents us ought to inform how we parent our kids. So before we, uh, we just come down on our kids, like when they do something that makes us flipping mad and we go, like, we just want to scream and we just want to shout and we just want to bring the hammer down, if somehow we can get them to understand that we are on their side against the consequences of their sin, our leverage, our influence in their life will go sky high. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley says that there are two words that if every parent would learn these two words and say these two words first, 
it will change the dynamics of their relationship and their influence with their kids would go up, up, and up because it would put you on the side of your kids but against the hurt that's come into their life because of their own disobedience or sin. Now here's what he says. Ready for this? He says these two words. Oh, no. Oh, no. Say that with me. Oh, no. He, he, he talks about this idea that if we can simply say this, we will, be, we will be able to exercise leadership and discipline and they will welcome it. And here's what he means. It goes something like this, like, oh no. You know there's gonna be consequences for that, but I am so sorry. Oh no. Wrecking your car is such a bummer. I'm so glad you're okay, but that's gonna cost you a little bit. Oh, no, you stayed out too late. You broke curfew, and I am so bummed out that you are going to be grounded for like nine years, right? <laughs> oh, no, I am so sorry. You're going to have to go apologize and make that right. I'm so sorry that turned out like that. I am so sorry that you, that you said that to that kid, and now you got this difficulty. Oh, no, you're going to have to go back and make this right. It's, oh no, I am on your side. It's, oh no, I'm not upset with you. I'm not, I'm not mad at you, but I am grieving with you. I'm hurting with you like God hurts like when we sin. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Now, these things have to be made right, but I am on your side. Now, listen, this starts when we're real young, but somehow we lose this when we get older with our kids because, like, when our kid, like, we can see them running down the road or doing whatever they're doing. We know that they're heading for trouble. They're two years old, and you go, he's going to get hurt doing that. And so you start going, hey, I would stop. Hey, don't do that. Hey, hey, slow down. Put that down. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get boom. And they get hurt. And then they cry and they turn and they come running to you and they jump in your arms. And what do you do as parent? Do you go, I told you, you were going to get hurt. You are, you never listen to me. You're two years old. You should know better by now. Do we do that? No. What do we do? When there's knee and skin, we, we let them jump in our arms and we cuddle them close and we say, I love you. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And we say that generally, we should say that before we say, I told you. This is why daddy loves you because I told you in advance that this was going to happen. You can trust me. You can trust me. Oh, no. And somehow, if we can remember this as they get older in life in those teenage years, it will do nothing but increase our influence. Oh, no. This is going to hurt. This is going to be costly. But I am with you on this. Not against you. I want what's best for you. I love you. Y'all hear me on this? Parents, are you with me on this? You see what I'm talking about? Okay, so, all right, there's one more thing, if it's okay with you. One more thing I just, I wanna, I wanna talk about. Um, for me and Lynette now, this is just for us. This is so important to us. We wanna give our kids another gift. Um, and it is the gift of staying together. It is the gift of being a family and a family that they can count on and a family that they know they can come home to tonight, tomorrow, two years from now, and 20 years from now. It's a gift of staying together. Now, I get it. Listen, I'm not 
saying this to make anybody feel bad because I know a whole bunch of you in this room, um, your dreams didn't turn out the way you wanted. You wanted like a house in suburbia with, you know, a husband or a wife and two kids and a cat and a dog. I don't know why anybody wanted a cat and a dog, but people want that kind of stuff. And, and so you had all these big dreams and it didn't work out for you. And that breaks your heart. But many of you guys have done an amazing, I'm not, I'm not condemning you at all. As a matter of fact, so many of you have just stepped up and you've taken this mess that, that was and you've let God bring healing to it and you've let God do something incredible in your life and it's been amazing what you've done as a single mom or a single dad. It's been amazing. And you inspire so many of us. But the scripture teaches me something and it teaches something to every married person in this room. Here's what the book of Genesis leads for us. Listen to this. It teaches us this. For this reason, it says this. For this reason, and, and Mark quotes this in the New Testament, or Jesus quotes this in the New Testament as well, and, and this is Mark 10, 7. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He will form a family. You will go and you will form a family that will be a family, that will stay a family. That is what God wants for us. That's what God wants for me. And I like how the old King James puts it. It kind of has a different, slight different twist on it, but it picks up uh, the understanding that when we go and, and we're united, that we cling to our wives, that we cling to our husbands. Like, like we need a little bit more clinging in our world today, don't we? Come on, don't we? We need a little bit more clinging uh, to the right people, I mean. You know what I'm saying, right? To the right person. We need, to, we need to understand that this is something that has to be purposeful in our hearts. It has to come from our gut, from our soul, where we decide that this family will make it. It is the greatest gift that I can give to my sons and my daughter. A father that loves his wife has been said is the greatest gift that he can give to his children. And a father and mother that stay together and love together, their children, they're highly favored. They're given this leg up in life. And friends, I want to give that to my kids. It's my responsibility to do this. I need to work at this every single day. I need to push toward this every single day. I want my kids to know that they can count on mom and dad being mom and dad forever, together. And friends, I want my kids to know that my faith is real and that my faith informs my marriage and leads my marriage and just uh, directs my marriage, that my faith is the center of our home. It's not just something that we say. It's not just something that we point to, but it is what it is. It is the center of everything. And listen, friends, I want my kids to know that God is their everything. It's their relationship with Jesus is their everything. And if it's going to be their everything, it has to start with me. I can't just point them to it. We talked about this last week, that it has to start with me and Lynette. It has to be the center of everything that we are and that will overflow out of us and into our kids. Here's how the scriptures sum this up. This is what we want for our children. Listen to this, John 17. It says, now this is eternal life. This is where eternal life is found. Listen, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Listen, I don't care where my kids end up in careers. I don't care if they make a lot or a little bit of money. I don't care about the kind of house that they buy. I don't care what kind of car that they drive. I care about their soul more than anything else. I care that they have peace with God and that they know the goodness of God, that God is their redeemer, their friend, their savior, their leader, their everything. It is where life is found. And that's what I want most for my kids and that's what Lynette wants most for our kids. And it starts with mom and dad. It starts with us.
Now listen, there are no perfect parents. There are no perfect kids. My kids are like your kids. They screw a whole bunch up. I screw a whole bunch up. Lynette, she's near perfect. That's different. But I'm telling you, this is worth the fight. It is. You with me? This is worth the fight to the day I die. It is for me, and it is for you. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we humbly come before you, and we call you our Heavenly Father. (laughs) Heavenly Father, you are good to us, and you parent us toward right relationship with you. God, we are so grateful for the example you give us. And God, thank you for dealing with us uh, the way that you do. God, sometimes you put us through the ringer and sometimes you allow us to go into areas that, that you could have just saved us from. But you take us there to grow us up, to mature us, to change us, to make us who we're supposed to become. And I pray, God, that we would follow your leadership and that we would follow your example. God, help every single man and woman in this place, every family in this place, um, every home that's represented here. I pray, God, that we would be serious about this thing called parenting, that parenting really does matter. And it matters every single day. And so I pray for each home, God, that they would feel your grace, that they would feel your strength, that they would feel the wind uh, of your spirit blowing into their homes. God, I pray that you would do great and mighty things in their lives. And God, that there are some things, like friends, right now, even as as you're in prayer before God, even as you're humble before God, you know that there are some things in your life that have to go. Some things in your home that need to move, that need to change. Some attitudes, some stuff, some actions, some things. I don't know what it is in your life, but there are some stuff that has to go. And then there are some other things that have to be brought into your home and into your life. Some things that you need to model. Tell that to God right now. Say, God, there are some things I have to go and name it right now. Just tell him. This has got to change. And ask him for help to change those things. There are some things that you need to start doing, start modeling for your children. Ask him for strength to do the right thing. Right now, ask him. God, I pray that you would give each of us the measure of grace that we need. God, I pray that your spirit would move among us and in our homes, Lord. I pray that that we would resolve in our heart to glorify you in our homes, Lord. And we ask all of this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. 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 You guys all good? Okay. You know, anytime you start talking about this idea of parenting, it stirs such emotions in us, right? And you feel oftentimes condemned. My hope is that you won't feel condemned. Not at all. But that you'll be encouraged to fight another day. That you'll be purposeful and intentional in your homes. Um, That's my hope. And listen, if you want to pray with somebody, uh, if you have something going on, maybe in your home, I don't know, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids, maybe you just need somebody to to lift you in prayer. Up up to my left, I'll have some folks who would love to meet with you, to talk with you. I'll be over here for a little bit. If you just need to connect and pray, we would love to do that. Now, next week, we're going to bring Christmas into this place. Is that okay? Okay, we're pretty excited about this. We're starting our Christmas series. And uh, let me just tell you this. Um, I'm asking you to partner with us. We're going to work really hard to make these uh, meaningful, these gatherings meaningful, uh, culminating on Christmas 
Eve, of course, but I'm asking that you might partner with us by inviting a friend. Bring a friend to church with you. Say, hey, I'll meet you at Baxter's. I'll buy you dinner. Let's go to church together. Let's go to church together. And you'll be surprised at how many people will come with you if you try. All right, God bless you, my friends. We'll see you later.